welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time, some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode... Legacy of Death. On January 23, 2023, Alex Murdoch, disgraced and disbarred attorney, scion of the influential Murdoch family, and South Carolina good old boy, went on trial for the double homicide of his wife Maggie and their teenage son, Paul. But this is only the tip of the iceberg. Aside from the financial fraud and swindling of law partners and vulnerable clients, there are at least three other deaths connected to Alex and his family. Join me today as I try to sort out this case that has more head-spinning twists and turns than a ride at Disney with the help of my guest, Rebecca F. Pittman, who has just finished her book on the case entitled Countdown to Murder, Alex Murdoch, Money, Murder, and Deception in South Carolina. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, James. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Now, I'm familiar with uh, your, uh, hist- your History and Haunting series. Read several of those, covered one on, on this podcast. But um, so tell us how you got, which is it's a little different uh, concept. How did you get uh, interested in this, um, this, as we'll find out, very bizarre case, but uh, very much straightforward uh, true crime and very modern trials going on right now? Uh, like you mentioned, the History and Haunting series have been very, very good to me. Um, there are six of those out, but I was told about uh, the Pam Hop murders in St. Louis and could not look away from that because female serial killers are so rare. So I did, I started a new series, Countdown to Murder. So that one was Countdown to Murder, Pam Hupp. Uh, that story spawned the mini series that when Renee Zellweger played as Pam Hupp went through the roof. And so in the meantime, I heard about the trial that is beginning. It began yesterday with jury selection. The case that we're talking about is the murder trial, long and waiting, twists and turns and craziness of Alex Murdoch. Well, it's an interesting case because it actually, these are the two deaths that are he's up for trial right now. But this family has also been surrounded by three other deaths over the centuries, over the decades, I beg your pardon, beginning in 2015. But the trial that just began with jury selection is for the murder of his wife and son on their hunting grounds in South Carolina, Hampton, South Carolina, uh, although it is called Islandton because his property is just over the line a little bit. But it's called the Moselle Hunting Lodge. It's on Moselle Road. It's 1,700 acres of hunting facilities there and a beautiful home. 
But these, the uh, bodies of Maggie and Paul Murdoch were found by the dog kennels, which has its own entrance off of Moselle Road. Uh, at, well, according to Alec, he found them at 10 o'clock on June 7th of 2021 when he came home. And his alibi is he was gone. His father had been put into hospice that day. His mother has dementia. Uh, their home is 20 minutes from the hunting lodge, and his alibi was he left and went to check on his mother who has dementia, and when he came back, he found the dead bodies of his wife and son. And um, how were they both killed? Actually, Maggie was shot five times with an AR-15, and Paul was shot twice with a shotgun. Alex comes home and discovers this this bloodbath um, of you know his his dead wife and his uh, dead son, and he calls nine one one, and his his call, I mean, which is recorded, is quote, "My wife and child have been shot badly." Who? Who talks like that? Everybody comments on how weird that is. Yeah. So and badly, badly is an understatement, especially for Paul. It's, right. And backing up from that, I think this is where we need to, again, this case, that's why I'd say it swerves and everything. It goes this way, then we can learn more about that way. This stuff is out in public record, by the way, uh, a lot of this. Um, what happened prior. So tell us about the boat uh, incident. Well, and, and it ties in uh, for people who may not be as familiar with the case. In 2019, in February, Paul, who was the young man who was murdered that this trial is for, uh, Paul was 19 at the time and had five other friends on the boat. They went to an oyster roast, which is very popular there. And he is known for being a notorious drunk. He drinks to excess until his alter ego that they nicknamed Timmy comes out. And they can tell when Timmy's arrived because his hands do very odd things where the fingers splay out to where he, it's like he can't get his fingers back together and they go, uh-oh. Well, they're coming back from the oyster roast. It wasn't enough they had drinks there. He needed to stop and get shots. Nobody wanted him to. After that, they realized this guy is so drunk. Nobody wanted him to drive the boat home, and he wouldn't let anyone else have it. So he actually taunted them as they're trying to get home. It's now 2 in the morning, and he's making the boat go in circles. He's stopping it. He's starting it. When they're arguing with him, he actually ripped off his clothes. He's down to his boxers, and this is February. It's 50 degrees, and starts fighting with everybody on the boat. He spit in his girlfriend's face and slapped her. And finally, when one of the bigger guys, Mallory Beach's boyfriend, Anthony, who's huge, challenged him because Paul made a comment to Mallory and Anthony says, you don't want to go there. And Paul's only 5'8". And he just suddenly slams the throttle forward like I'll show you. And the boat is now at some point doing 29 miles per hour. And when they took me out on the search and rescue boat in South Carolina, you don't know how fast that is till you're on a boat. 
And when they re replicated that for me, I couldn't see. My hair's forward. The And anyway, it hit a piling, a dolphin head on the bridge, and it ejected Mallory and her boyfriend, Anthony and Paul, into the water. Uh, Connor Cook, who was standing next to Paul at the console, he went forward, smashed his jaw, broke it in four places. Uh, Paul's girlfriend that he spit on lacerated two or three fingers till they were almost amputated off of her hand. There's blood everywhere. They couldn't find Mallory. Uh, Anthony, and this is a tidal system. And until you experience that, it's like a living beast. It undulates and it comes in and it pulls out to the ocean. And the current is amazing. If you turn your boat off, it will just take you. And so they couldn't find her. And a week later, they found her. And it is a heartbreaking story. And so the reason, one of the reasons this is relevant is the Beach Mallory's family sued. And that trial was supposed to happen three days after Paul's murder. And they were suing Paul and they were looking into Alex, his dad's financial records and Alec couldn't have that. He had been stealing from clients, laundering money, doing all of these things, and he had to come up with some way to stop that trial before their forensic analyst looked closely at his bank records. His wife and he were separated at the time, Alex and his wife, at the time of their murders in 2021. She was living at their beach house, and he was living at the hunting lodge property. And there were rumors she was getting a divorce, uh, but there were also rumors that have not been denied by Alex's defense team that she had hired a forensic analyst to look at his records. And I think he went there that night to shoot her in a way to hurry up and stop that trial out of sympathy for him. You know, your wife just died. We're going to postpone this for now. I think Paul was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Alec didn't realize he was there inside the feed shed. And that's heartbreaking. Um, so that's what I believe happened. I think the trajectory of the shots that went into Paul show that somebody was struggling over that shotgun because it shot up through his shoulder and blew the back of his head off. It blew his brain out. And that shows to me that barrel is way down low when it went off. And the other one to his chest, kind of this, I think they were struggling over the gun. He surprised his dad when he heard arguing outside the feed shed. And it's Alec and Paul's mom, Ma Maggie, arguing. He opens the door and sees his dad with an AR-15. And I think it shocked Alec to death. And Paul grabs his shotgun, and they struggle for it, and it goes off. Wow. And then Maggie's screaming and running, and Alec uh, goes after her and shoots. Five, five of the shots hit her. And what's, what's really interesting is that the morning of the murders of Maggie and Paul, Alec was at his law firm, and one of the secretaries or the accountant came in and started questioning, Where, where's this money? 
that where's this the settlement that you just won? Where are the fees that are supposed to come to the law firm? So he was even stealing from his own law firm, from his own brother that worked there, and now the heat's on. And at that moment, he gets a phone call and says, I got to go. My dad just went into hospice and he books it out of there. So now he's, his mind's just going, what do I do? I, 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 they're going to look for this money. Well, I got a lawsuit coming in three days where they're going to be looking at my records. And so he sends a text to his wife, Maggie, and says, can you meet me out at Moselle? tonight to go see dad he's dying and it may be your last chance to say goodbye to him so that was his thought i'm gonna shoot her it's going to two birds with one stone i hate to say now she can't keep looking into his records and it buys him sympathy and he can delay that trial what's interesting is when he right after the murders and this shows you how calculating this is if it turns out he did it they believe Paul died at 9 o'clock. At 9.06, Alex is in his car, headed to his mother's house, and he is talking to Chris Wilson, his attorney friend, and getting money, trying to get money hurried up and put into that bank account before his law firm can ask him again, where's the money? His first thought after seeing his son with his head blown off, is I got to cover my butt. Chris, I need that money in here. That's amazing to me. So how long did it take for Alex to transform uh, from grieving husband and father to suspect? Well, the thing that was interesting was the very next morning after the murders, SLED, which is South Carolina's leading law enforcement agency, SLED stands for South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, they announced to the community there is no danger. <laughs> and people are going, two people just got shot. What do you mean there's no danger? So in everybody's mind, they already knew. Right. Uh, but the problem was the Murdochs, including Alec, had all of the local law enforcement in their back pocket. Uh, these, a lot of these people were dirty. They would cover things up for them. They would deliberately lose evidence, which happened in a couple of the other cases I mentioned. And... So for them to come out and say that was very interesting to people. Ah, what do you mean there's no danger to anybody? It took them a year to actually arrest him. Wow. Now, during that year, when does, the, um, um, when does Cousin Eddie come into this and the, um, uh, you know, false attack, if you will? Oh, the fake suicide thing? Yeah, yeah. Let's okay, talk about so that. Okay, so basically, Maggie and Paul are shot in June. Uh, Alex's money issues are starting to come to the surface. It's piling up. His law partners, including his brother, are going, all right, what's going on here? We're missing millions. What, what's going on here? So basically, he is kicked out of his law firm, although he claims he resigned. He's kicked out, and then he's disbarred. And this is a family that has been in the highest position in that 14th circuit for a hundred years his grandfather his great-grandfather uh, so for him to be disbarred 
was huge. I mean, the Murdoch name was on the law firm. So suddenly in September over Labor Day weekend, all of this is coming to a head now. He's been disbarred. It's just like watching a roller coaster pick up speed. He calls 911 again. First 911 call was finding his dead uh, family. Now it's, I was changing my tire and this guy pulled up in a truck and offered to help me and all of a sudden shot me in the back of the head. And so the the operator's going, so you can tell she's surprised. She goes, he, he shot you? Yes, ma'am. What part of your body? He goes, the, the back of my head somewhere. I'm bleeding. And so anyway, this these good Samaritans stop. And he goes, ma'am, because they couldn't seem to get the ambulance. It was a rural road. He goes, they're going to drive me to the hospital. And there's, she said, well, the, the ambulance is on its way. So they ended up meeting the ambulance, and it went. they took him from there. He had a little teeny tiny graze at the back of his head that they caused a minor brain bleed. It didn't even crack the skull. So the description he gives the 911 operator, she goes, well, what did he look like? And he goes, um, uh, a white man, fair amount younger than me, short hair. That's all he gave her. Well, Eddie is not a young man. He's got long, straggly hair. And uh, it only took a couple of days before Alec admitted it all was a lie. So this is cousin Curtis Eddie Smith, and right. obviously a, a relative. And if I could uh, add a sidebar here, uh, in the course of the investigation, uh, it turns out that uh, cousin Eddie uh, failed a lie detector uh, test question uh, on whether he um, was at the house when uh, Paul and Maggie uh, were killed. Uh, but I digress. And so uh, it unfolds that at first, uh, that is it true that um, he claims he was part of the conspiracy? In other words, he was uh, asked to shoot Alex by Alex, or then doesn't he deny it? I had nothing to do with it, or does he admit no. it? And actually, you got to give him credit. He comes off fairly credible. He's always very emotional. Uh, he's a distant cousin. He ran. He ran drugs for Alec and picked up big checks and brought them back to Alec. So they've known each other a long time. It was later decided that Alec had paid him close to $2 million or at least $2 million in transactions. So no, according to Eddie, Alec called him and said, I need your help. And they were very close. Eddie did work for him and he, no questions asked, he jumped in his truck and went out there and Alec is by the side of the road and Eddie says as soon as he pulled up, Alec jumped out of his car, waving a pistol, saying, I'm going to kill myself. I, I can't take it anymore. My family's dead. I got all this coming down on me. And that Eddie grabbed the pistol and wrestled it behind his back. And when he did, it went off. And it scared him. And he, Eddie took the gun, jumped in his truck, and took off. So it, I think it did graze the back of his head because Eddie took the gun with him. So I don't think Alec had anything left to stage. We do know he slipped the tire on his car and they found the knife and traced it back to him to make it look like he had a flat. 
but uh, he was bleeding, but it was a superficial kind of wound. And so Eddie's, Eddie's saying, the gun went off, but I didn't see any blood. There was no blood on him. There was no blood on me. I was set up. He said, I feel betrayed. And I honestly, James, think that Alec had him out there that he was going to shoot Eddie and set him up for the murders of Maggie and Paul. I really think that was the whole idea. According to Alec, he wanted to commit suicide so that his surviving son, Buster, would get $10 million of his life insurance money. He wasn't going to kill himself. Does the sto- when does the story fall apart that it wasn't a stranger who tried to kill him? Which is what he, he, admit, he admitted it two days later. Two days later. And, yeah, he admitted and so he, that he had done it on purpose because he wanted to die and that he just wanted to leave money for Buster. And then the next thing that comes out that he has an opioid addiction. And that conveniently gets him sent away out of the reach into Florida at a rehab facility until. All of this stuff they started looking into of his, they find where he scammed his own housekeeper's sons out of $4 million out of a wrongful death settlement. When well, well, back up. So so how, how did the poor housekeeper die? That's one of the five that, according to Maggie's 911 call, Gloria was going up the brick steps at the Moselle house and the dog, well, Maggie didn't say the dogs, but she tripped and fell, hit her head. But the interesting thing is, is it's on top of her head. And Paul is also there. At some point, Maggie hands him the phone and he says, ma'am, she fell and cracked her skull. She's bleeding out of the top of her head and her left ear. And, Gloria goes to the hospital and lingers for three weeks before she dies. Um, and obviously did not give a statement of what happened to her. So that's one of the mysteries. And she was their housekeeper and nanny for the entire life of those boys, practically. She raised them since Paul was like one year old. So she was like a part of the family. And yet, here's the thing. When she died in the hospital, there was no autopsy and no coroner's report. It was never sent to the coroner, which makes me think there were other injuries involved that they did not want to come to the surface. And Paul was going around bragging that he pushed her down the stairs. So that's still a mystery. Right now, they've gotten permission to exhume her body and look at it again. I mean, it's just, oh, my gosh, so many things. So I'm just going to guess, and you correct me if I'm wrong. So it became wrongful death because uh, they weren't going to prosecute for murder or manslaughter or whatever. So the family, like with O.J. Simpson, family lost in the criminal case, they went to wrongful death and they they won that which is some vindication whether you're going to get money or not it's like okay you know maybe not beyond reasonable doubt but preponderance of the evidence someone said yes oj killed these people so in this case i'm guessing only that the insurance company decided to settle in other words it didn't go to trial or did it go to trial no it did not this is the insidious part the insidious part 
is, is that during Gloria's funeral, uh, Alec came up to her two sons who were uh, young men, very young. They they lived with Gloria in a trailer. They'd all they'd been poor most of their lives, and they actually got kicked out of the trailer after she died because she was the only money maker. And he comes up to them at the funeral and says, "Tell you what I'm going to do. My dog stripped your mom." Which he's the only one that told that story. You don't hear it in the 911 call. You hear no dogs. He says, so I'm going to sue myself. So what I'm going to do is hook you up with my attorney friend, Corey Fleming. He's going to represent, and I'm going to sue myself so that my insurance company will pay you and you'll get some money because I feel so bad about what happened to your mom. Well, two insurance companies paid out, including Lloyd's of London, to the tune of $4 million. The boys never got a dime. He kept it and then gave Corey Fleming his cut and gave Chad Westendorf, who was also involved as a representative, his cut. They never got a dime until it was he was sued later and they settled up. But, I mean, that was down the road, but... That was the first time he was arrested was actually for defrauding the Satterfield kids. It was his first time actually going to jail. And they arrested him at the rehab facility in Florida and brought him back. I'm sorry, and so then who was it all came out. Who was arrested then at that point? Alex. They arrested him so, at his rehab clinic in Florida when they found out what he'd done to the Gloria Saturday. This was the money, not 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 any kind of legal uh, no. uh, ramifications of the death, but because of the shenanigans. Nothing has been proven in death yet. It was all uh, financial crime. He was, yep. was always in trouble financially. And suddenly here came all these other people he cheated. In the end, over $10 million he had cheated out of people's settlements. At their most vulnerable point, he's a personal injury attorney. One was a quadriplegic death boy that he kept his money. I mean, holy heck. Um, since you were um, writing your book while the case, the, the investigation was still ongoing, um, I'm assuming uh, it wasn't easy uh, to get information or to get interviews, especially in, as you point out, this sort of closed, uh, I'll say it, corrupt uh, legal community. So um, who, who did you talk to? Oh, my gosh, everybody. Um, because there's one more murder associated with this family right, let's and let's do let's get that out here let's get all the all the ducks in a row here go ahead it was the first one it was in 2015 uh july 8th and a young boy 19 years old named stephen smith was found murdered and left lying in the middle of a backcountry road with his face caved in uh it was supposed to look like he hit and run and immediately the highway patrol knew this was not a hit and run. And later it was, they thought, well, it was a gunshot. No, it was so the autopsy. So they literally where it stands today, I don't know if they finally said undetermined, but for the longest time they tried to, to, put, to pass it off as a hit and run. The reason it's tied to the Murdochs is, and again, I this has not been verified yet. All of the documentaries, HBO, everything else are careful to put a disclaimer that this has not been settled yet. But Stephen was openly gay. 
the young man found in the road, and the rumors were going around he was having a fling with Alec's older son, Buster. And the rumors started right around the time of his death, and I have a feeling he was killed to get rid of the rumors. If that was in the South, being gay is a tough gig. I mean, there's signs posted. I saw them if, about homosexuality. It's not tolerated. And if that had come out that a Murdoch, because they were the biggest name in Hamden, that this was going on, and I think the early morning hours that he was murdered, he was ganged up on by what the, the witnesses told me that I've talked to, was that uh, the eyewitness said they saw two boys get into the Buster's pickup truck after a softball tournament and head back. And I have a feeling something went wrong. They found Stephen's car three miles from his body. It was staged to look like he'd run out of gas. And then they staged it to try to make it look like a hit and run. So Buster's name came up over 40 times in the police interviews. In fact, he was the only, he and a couple, the couple of the guys that happened to be in the truck with him were also mentioned that these guys did it. Somebody sent in an anonymous tip. So it's interesting. You hear somebody's name 40 times, um, but that's not been solved either. And Stephen's poor mother's waited seven, now going on eight years for closure to that. I'm guessing you spoke with her? Yes, and it broke my heart. I mean, Stephen was amazing. And I'm trying not to get choked up, but... Mm -hmm. This kid was going to nursing school. He wanted to be a doctor and help poor people in other countries that couldn't afford to have a doctor. His room looked like a library, she said. He was incredibly funny. Everyone loved him. And it was just the sense you get with this family is a sense of entitlement, even if it means taking a life. If you get in my way, if you mess with my agenda, and there were rumors that in Hampton County, people disappeared. Um, in fact, even uh, Alex's grandfather, who was one of the solicitors at the time, says, hey, if you want somebody to disappear, bring them to Hampton County. Because they had all uh, most of the law enforcement in their pocket. And they could make evidence disappear. They could change. They, Here's the story I want you to tell. You got it. And it was you do a favor for me, I'll do a favor for you. And that's pretty much what it was. Again, nothing has been proved. I'm just saying his name came up 40 times. And so that is, at this point, Alex is in jail. The double murder trial is right now for Maggie and his son, Paul. His older son, Buster's it. He's the only one left out of that family of four. And he is on the defense list to testify. Um, so it's just, it is a tragic, sad story, but you've got five deaths around one family. That's incredible mm. to me. Now, um, you mentioned Buster. Uh, how old was Buster approximately when uh, his mother and brother were killed? And was he... Has it come out at all through police uh, reports? Was he, where was he, in the house or at work or? 
Yeah, he's a couple of years older than Paul. I think he's only two years older than Paul. And at the time of the murders, Paul was 22. So he was around 24 or something. He was up at Rock Hill, South Carolina, which I believe is a couple of hours away. And he had a solid, a solid alibi. They didn't even look at him really for it. I've been listening to the police phone calls and he calls, Alec calls Buster more than anybody. And to Buster's credit, he answers the phone. You can tell a lot of times he does not want to be there, but it's his dad. And here's the most chilling one to me is Alex on the phone with him. Now, keep in mind, Buster's mother and brother were butchered on this hunting, these hunting grounds. Alex says, what are you doing? And Buster says, well, I'm, I'm going to Greenville. And, he, and Alex says, to go hunting? He goes, yeah. Buster, I tell you what you need to do. He goes, you know, you can go out to Moselle because those feeders are full. And I guarantee you there's going to be deer everywhere. And with nothing going on out there, there's going to be a ton of deer. And he goes, you need to go out there to go hunting. And Buster goes, well, what's in it for me? And Alex says, to kill a deer? And he goes, no, no I'm, not, I'm not going out there. He goes, you're not going out there? He goes, no, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go out there. He goes, how about for the doves? How about for dove hunting? And it's like, it's clueless that this, these grounds are where his family were executed. And to Alec, it's like, you're wasting a great opportunity to be out there hunting. And it's, there, there, there's no conscience. There's just nothing in there for this man. Now he's being tried. Uh, I, I'm assuming the uh, the the, the um, uh, corrupt uh, jurisdiction, or has it been at least moved to a big city? I mean, where is the actual uh, uh, trial being held? It's in Walterboro, which is only about twenty minutes, twenty five minutes away from where the murders happened, and it's still within the fourteenth circuit district that the Murdochs have run for a hundred years. But I'll tell you one thing. I like this judge. Judge Newman is no nonsense. He's calm. They are really being careful with the jury selection. I listened to the questions they were asking them yesterday. You know, have you ever been around a Murdoch? Have you been sued by a Murdoch? Do you know their aunt, their uncle, their babysitter, the dog washer? I mean, he was being super care. I'm being facetious with that last part, but right. Right. I really like him. He reins it in close. It's not like a Judge Edo with the stargaze, you know, that he's got the cameras on him. Yeah. I think he's going to be fair. Now, you said you were listening. Is this being covered like on court TV or something? Yes. Great. Obviously, you've been listening. Are you going to go back at all? I was going to be there until I heard of the circus it was turning into. Um, They've actually set up an entire parking lot with food trucks. Uh, They are, I think, 20 representatives from Fox News, 300 journalists, a van fair guy from France. And the seats were limited, and I thought I'd, I'd, I I no. would rather watch it on television. Bless you, bless you. <laughs> I mean, that's no, that's uh, um, what was. So we've we've skirted over the issue here that you have a book out there that oh. is in and in, in you can pre-buy it. And let's mm-hmm. talk about the title and where you can uh, get your reservation for my audience. Thank you, thank you, James. Mm. It's called Countdown to Murder, Alec Murdoch. 
And it is for pre-order on Amazon. It's supposed to come out April 28th, go live. So I am still working on it as we speak. Um, but that's it'll be my second in the Countdown to Murder series. The other one, the first one was Countdown to Murder, Pam Hupp, which has been up for sale for about a year now. So Now, there's a potential. I mean, again, you know, I'm, I'm into Law & Order where everything happens in 60 minutes. But um, there's a possibility that this, I mean, what are they What are they guessing the amount of uh, time for the trial? You know, they usually say, well, this Three will be eight weeks. Week. Three? Counting starting yesterday. Wow. So by April, you might be able to, to put a nice chapter in there about the verdict. Oh, yeah. And the thing that, and I'm, I really want to say this. When I first started interviewing people, it was frustrating. And I'd heard that from a lot of TV shows that went out there. They were afraid because the Murdochs have run that area and people disappear or suddenly drugs are found in your car or things like that. And so it took a while for people to trust me. And a lot of these that are going into the book, I won't have their name on it. These people still have to live there. I sign confidentiality agreements, anonymity, whatever. Mm -hmm. I owe them a lot. I mean, there are people who know things, especially about Stephen Smith's death. And we've got new information, and that's all I'm going to say right now. That's fine. That's um, fine. But without them, I wouldn't have this book. They have been brave. They've been totally amazing, and I owe them so much for opening up to me with this. Now, um, I'm going to put this into the podcast right here as well, because I have read your your stuff. And uh, I've read other authors who do quick, I know it's there's a term for, you know, the quick and dirty, which is basically just going to Wikipedia and taking everything down and putting it in your own voice. Oh. But your books are not that. And most people I, I get, as soon as I start reading the book, before I even reach out, would you like to be on my podcast? I go, no, that's what this book is. And it's fine, but I don't like to just, get, which I could do, print down a Wikipedia on Ted Bundy and just read it, you know, as a podcast. That would be fine. People listen to it. But uh, I said, no, I don't like that. So, though I've not seen the book, the stuff you've already told me that I've found nowhere, this, this Stephen Smith in information and the interview that you did with his mom, that... The book, when it comes out, and people must get it because it will have stuff, even if it's protected, it will have stuff that's not in Wikipedia, that's not on Fox, because you did your own stuff. So, and it's not cheap to be flying around down in North Carolina and, and even doing things on the phone and whatnot. It becomes a lot of work rather than just sitting down and saying, well, you know, this guy got shot, this guy, and read a police report, and there's my book. I appreciate that, James. I take it very personally. I, I, It's not ego for me. I don't know what to call it, integrity or just I can't do something halfway. If I can't turn out a really good book that you can't find the information somewhere else, what's the point? And one of the things that I've been told is my books have a plethora of photos that others don't. That's big for me. And illustrations and maps. I've actually got maps that I'll, and I can't say much more about that either right now. Drawings of things from oh, evidence. So, so that you followed that that procedure with this book. So we will see yes. pictures and drawings and cool. Tons. 
Yeah. So the thing is, is I talked to a police officer that was one of the good guys in the Stephen Smith case. He kept trying and kept trying to solve this thing. And I wanted to know if the new stuff I got, if they'd heard of it. And when he said he hadn't, I thought, whoa. And it is big. It's, it's very big, and so we are, I'm finally finding the honest people that are going, I think we can get this thing solved, which would mean the world to me. I have four grown sons, and I've gone to bed at night having nightmares. Of, I'm sorry. If one of them I know, was I know. No, that's okay. It's to be expected. Whether Buster was gay or not is not an issue. Uh, the issue is this young man was killed, and it, as I will accept what you say until I get to read more about it in your book, that it was connected uh, to his um, uh, sexual identity, and it wasn't a hit and run, and it wasn't a robbery. There was something else, and we'll you know find out, and maybe if it's solved, we'll even get a, some closure from mom. Well, I can say this because it's on the record. Connor Cook, who was on the boat with Paul, uh, first thing Paul and his dad and grandfather tried to do was throw Connor under the bus as being the driver that night because he was standing next to Paul. And when Paul would leave the wheel to go slap his girlfriend or do something else, Connor hurried and grabbed it to steady the boat. They were setting him up. To be, I mean, that's just, and he, he grew up with Paul. This is one of his best friends, and they were, the very minute it happened, they were th- trying to throw Connor under as the driver. So here's the thing. Connor came out and said, Paul bragged about pushing Gloria down the stairs and that he was involved with the death of the young boy found in the middle of the road. And this is Connor saying it, so I can't get in trouble here. He put it out there, and it would not surprise me. I hate to say this. Paul was torturing animals from the time he was tiny, and there was just something off with him. And if alcohol and drugs were introduced, the gloves were off. And one thing I can say, because it was all over Facebook, the morning of Stephen's murder, the young boy found in the road, Paul put on Facebook, we solved our problem. So it's just, I don't know how else to put it. It's a feeling of entitlement, which you can say narcissism, but you, it's beyond a sociopath. This is psychopath stuff, and nobody deserves to die the way he did. Uh, it was horrific, but it's just to watch this family fall like dominoes. It's like a Greek tragedy. They had it all, and for a 100 years, they dominated that area, and it just started falling, and once it did, it's a mess. Okay, well, thank you for that uplifting conversation. You're uh, welcome. I, I want to again thank my guest today, Rebecca Pittman. She'll be back again after the book comes out, I am sure, at least I will ask her to. And let's um, it, it, go to Amazon and pre-order, but also I know you have a website, which helps them see at least, you know, sort of get an idea of the other books, see if there's another one they want to pick up. So, and what is that website? It is www.rebeccaf, as in Frank, Pittman, 
Books.com. There you go. Quite thank fair. you, James. Well, it's thank you. And um, yeah, wow. So I'll let you know when it's up. I will pre-order my book today. Uh, <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, and again, I, I think we can sell a few books. So we're going to, after I've got it done, obviously you can uh, post the link. I've also figured out, which is easier, I figured out how to create a link that's just to your podcast. Well, I do want to make one thing clear. This, this trial that started yesterday is yep. just for the double murders of Maggie and Paul. Correct. Correct. Uh, the, not, the Mallory yeah. Beach, that, that trial, because he was murdered, never happened. But they have recently reached a settlement or they're in the process of reaching a settlement. Um, and then Stephen and Gloria's are still unsolved. Do they... Um uh, do you know what the charge is? Is it second degree, first degree? Uh... It's first degree, and they did take the death penalty off the table. All right, dear. Until we meet again, it has been my pleasure. So, friends, that wraps up another episode of Murder Most Foul. If you liked what you heard, I hope you'll tell your friends. Information about the podcast and an email link that can get a message to me can be found at the podcast's website. The address being www.murdermostfoul, all one word, no caps, no spaces, dot com. So until we meet again, stay safe. And for God's sakes, don't murder anyone. <laughs>